Aaron, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, that was absolutely dominant. And the 49ers' rampage continues. Six-game win streak, the latest victim, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 35-7. At one point, it was 35-0. 49ers, I thought, were in line to hand Tom Brady the fourth shutout of his career, but Tampa Bay scored a lucky touchdown off of a... Dre Greenlaw deflection, and it wasn't the worst loss of Tom Brady's career. He's lost a game by 35 points before in 2020 to the Saints, 38-3, but it was certainly close to the worst loss of Tom Brady's career. He came in like a kid in a candy shop. It seemed to me like Tom Brady was somebody who grew up cheering for the 49ers on the peninsula. That's how it, that's how it looked, at least. When he walked in, he was taking pictures of everything. I was standing right there at the tunnel right before the Buccaneers came out onto the field and Tom Brady saw Bryant Young and just started geeking out like a like a fan and you know I think that Tom was was soaking it all in obviously being back in the Bay Area but uh, the 49ers made it a whole lot less fun for him after kickoff just an overwhelming defensive performance it's now officially the number one defense in the league by every single metric they even passed the Cowboys in the advanced metrics and then on the offensive side Brock Purdy uh, was was really really good really efficient 16 of 21 he missed a couple throws but every qb is going to miss something right over the course of the game and the ones that he made were a whole lot more important to me than the ones that he missed especially in the face of the blitz taking a beating in this game we're still waiting on news regarding his oblique injury uh that coming out of this game but he he hung in there even through that and delivered the ball downfield and that helped fuel the 49ers best rushing performance of the season over 200 yards so matt i mean i'm just listing good stuff after good stuff after good stuff this this was a complete team win for the 49ers even special teams got in on it it's been a top five special teams unit over the past six weeks and right now the 49ers should be one of the super bowl favorites point blank they just the way that they're delivering in every single phase of the game has been impressive and because of it they're in position to clinch the nfc west potentially on thursday night in seattle yeah i think one of the more misleading stats coming out of this game was that uh tom brady wasn't sacked at all zero sacks which makes you think oh they must have had great pass protection on tom brady well no he was just get, getting rid of the ball because he didn't want to get hit and he got hit quite a bit and um he was obviously disrupted and um you know that's the second week in a row i mean remember um, Tua came in with the Dolphins uh, as hot as any quarterback in the league. And uh, the 49ers figured out a way to rattle him and sort of those mid to uh, long range crossers that he loves. He was just uh, a hair off on, on all of those uh, throughout the game. And Brady seemed to be similarly uh, rattled in this game. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, due to the pass rush, Dennis, and I think it's due to the linebacker play. Uh, I don't think that Brett Warner and Dre Greenlaw are getting enough credit for what they do in the pass game, which is basically uh, fall into those passing windows and uh, and uh, clog things up for opposing quarterbacks. And uh, you saw Dre Greenlaw come away with uh, a, a, an interception, which he tipped the ball to himself. I thought that was a really nice play. And then as David noted, they almost uh, each of those guys almost had an interception on the uh, the Buccaneers' lone touchdown, which was a, a lucky play for Tampa Bay. But that unit's playing great. They had some injuries, Dennis, uh, especially to the interior of that line. 
and uh, they may have to call on some of the lesser-known guys to really step up on a short week in Seattle. You know, the storyline was after this game was was this dominating game. It was over uh, Sunday or yeah Sunday night, and they were saying that you know the storyline was that Brock Purdy beats uh, Tom Brady, you know, the first rookie quarterback since, uh, you know, who knows who uh, to beat Tom Brady. Uh, Brock Purdy didn't beat Tom Brady. This defense beat Tom Brady. And and they did it in a way where, you know, we're not used to seeing. I mean, we're used to seeing it with this with this defense, but not against such an elite quarterback. Uh, we saw it with Tua. But uh, this defense shut down Tom Brady. I mean, you know, he didn't get sacked, but he was hit. Uh, you're right about the linebacker. I think Dre Greenlaw had like 15 tackles. That interception yeah. was was incredible. I mean, the way he tipped it up to himself, uh, and then and then come down with the ball. Great concentration, great read of the quarterback, and it just you know it just looked like this defense was was hitting on all cylinders. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes. Tampa Bay made tons of mistakes. Uh, this defense probably played their best football game. Uh, and as far as the offense went, I mean, the offensive line, I mean, they, Brock Purdy, they were there for him. Uh, they were there for the running back, Christian McCaffrey with, this is the first half. The first half was incredible. I mean, I think at a halftime, what was it? 28, nothing. Uh, and they just dominated in the second half. The offense didn't have to do much and the defense just did what the defense does. So, you know, Brock Purdy didn't beat Tom Brady. This defense beat Tom Brady. So. I mean, I just want to. I just want to defend the defense. That's what everyone's talking about. That Tom Brady lost to this rookie quarterback. He lost to this this elite defense, and they got after him. And you know, again, last week against Miami, they set the tone. And again today, they've 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 served the NFL. That this is a this is a defense that you have to deal with, and and it's going to be hard to score against this defense. And that one, I was hoping for a shutout, but that one touchdown, yeah, it was a lucky touchdown in the third quarter. But this defense was impressive, impressive. And there was no sacks on the quarterback, but they got after him and they put enough hits on him. Tom Brady was throwing the ball away, throwing the ball low, throwing the ball behind. Uh, His game was off, but I think it was because of the defense. Well, I I made a little bit of a historical connection yesterday. We'll see if you guys get it. But uh, the, the 49ers, since the Kansas City game, you know, which was really ugly for their defense, have been fighting this battle to get back to the number one spot defensively in in the advanced stats. And they barely, with yesterday's performance, because Dennis is saying it was awesome, yesterday's performance got them just barely in the EPA per play allowance uh, over the Cowboys. I'm talking like one one one-hundredth of a point, basically. So I think the key for the 49ers to edge out the Cowboys is that Tom Brady needs to be in the house. That's a reference to, come on, guys. (laughs) <laughs> it just Where is he going with this, Dennis? I, I, was, I was trying to get it. Uh, 20, 27, there. Tom Brady was at the game with Dwight Clark and Joe Montana back in oh, 1982. So whenever gotcha. Tom Brady's in the house, the 49ers find a way to surpass and edge out the Cowboys. And I thought that was Dennis a candlestick, was that. Uh, David. Yeah, yes, that was in candlestick. But in the 49ers' <laughs> house of the time. Now, on his way in yesterday, Tom Brady – Stopped and took a picture of a wall in that equipment room. You know, there's a tunnel that he takes from the bus to the visiting locker room. He stopped and took a picture of a bunch of banners that included Joe Montana and Dwight Clark, Roger Craig, Ronnie Lott, a bunch of guys. And then he, he, he was, I was saying he's geeking out about seeing Bryant Young. Um, so it, it was this this crazy situation yesterday where 
you went from Tom Brady really showing respect to the 49ers past and obviously Dennis is part of that Dennis played for those dynastic teams that that Tom Brady at that you know he was watching you guys Dennis back in the 90s so um but it ended with Tom Brady really respecting the 49ers present because that defense like earned his respect over the course of this game Brady had a great quote about the defense I mean I don't think there's any other opposing player in the NFL that's uh, whose whose word would be more uh you know respected about the defense but tom brady said about the 49ers defense they've got great players they've got a good rush they've got great linebackers they've got a good scheme i can see why they're the number one defense and what stood out to me in that quote was that he said good about a, a lot of stuff but he said great about the linebackers and dre greenlaw with those 15 tackles fred warner flying around uh, just, just awesome stuff. It was so important yesterday because Tampa Bay was just trying to dink and dunk their way down the field, which is why the 49ers couldn't register a sack. But they, they still got seven quarterback hits, which is amazing considering how quickly Brady gets the ball out. But but to me, guys, 55 pass attempts for Tom Brady, that that's a product of dinking and dunking. And that means a lot of work for the linebackers to make sure they don't give up a big play, right? It, it, it's somebody has, it's, it's a staring contest to me when a quarterback throws that many times. Either he's going to make a mistake because he's exposing himself to that many attempts, or your defense is going to make a mistake and you're going to break and there's going to be a big play that, that gets behind you and that could turn into a bigger problem of momentum against Tom Brady. And the 49ers did not blink. I, I get it. They had the deep pass to Mike Evans, but there was clear holding on the play. Jordan Willis thought he would have sacked Tom Brady if not for the holding from that left tackle position. And it, it ended up being Tom Brady who blinked. He, he throws barely any interceptions. Only had thrown three in 12 games entering this one and then two and two possessions to Sean Gibson and Dre Greenlaw. So to me, it was a story of discipline from the 49ers defense. Over 55 passes, you have to be disciplined against Tom Brady, and they certainly were, and they forced him to blink there in the second half of those two picks. I think that's what modern defense has become. I mean, you uh, you don't really overwhelm teams as much as you make them matriculate the ball piecemeal down the field, and then you hope that there's a mistake made. Um, you know, sometimes that mistake is a penalty, like a holding penalty against a team like the, you know, if you're the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is going to kill you on a drive because you're not picking up chunk plays. You're picking up little three or four yarders, and the 49ers are perfectly happy to see a, uh, a third and long throw go to Leonard Fournette, and they'll just... Uh, tackle him before the the sticks there. So you're right. I thought that you know, Greenlaw, as Dennis noted, 15 tackles. That, uh, that ties a, a career high for him. And I thought um, Deshaun Gibson had a really nice game, um, the eraser. Um, I, I didn't think that Gibson or Hufanga played all that well against Miami. Uh, a lot of teams don't because there's so much speed there. But Gibson was was cleaning things up, and uh, I thought that was in stark contrast to the Buccaneers, who were having to play a couple of uh, backup defensive backs. They took some bad angles, especially on that uh, that long touchdown run by Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the the 49ers really didn't have to deal with that. Um, the the Evans play was the exception. Uh, Hufanga on that play, Hufanga comes up, and uh, it's uh, it's Jimmy Ward versus Mike Evans in the slot. And right before the snap, Hufanga comes out of his safety spot and he's, he's yelling something to Jimmy Ward on the play. 
And it's clear there is miscommunication because Hufanga doesn't have any deep safety support. I think Jimmy Ward is expecting it. Um, it was a bust. And, and really, it was the second time in as many games that Hufanga's had that type of bust on a, on a deep ball. So that's something to, to watch, to keep an eye on. Uh, as Hufanga continues to kind of learn that uh, those deep safety skills and how to read things and uh, the pre-snap reads and this, that, and the other. Uh, but otherwise, wow, what a what a clean game for the defense. Yeah, and, you know, there there were a couple times, you know, that there were bust. Uh, and Tom Brady just didn't get the ball to his receivers. Um, there was a couple, I, I, I think back to a touchdown where, he threw the ball behind Mike Evans and Jimmy Ward was playing, you know, kind of catch up. And uh, so, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a lot that went to it. It was, I think it was just the fact that the rush was getting there and Tom Brady, and we talked about it. He, he, and everyone knows it. He's a 45 year old man. He doesn't want to get hit. That's why the ball gets out so fast. So, you know, I think some of the plays he was rushed because he knew that putt pass rush was getting to him. He was trying to get the ball out and he wasn't as accurate. But uh, I watched him that Monday night game the week before, and it looked like he was off until those last two drives. Um, and then I think, you know, Sunday he was off again for some reason. I don't know if the age is finally catching up to him or what. But, you know, he doesn't have a run game. Uh, you know, White's a good running back. He's, he's a young kid. He's got a little bit to develop. But Tampa Bay had no run game. And the 49ers, they're getting them on the run a little bit, but then they went away from the run game because they were, they were in catch-up mode. Uh, to throw the ball 50-something times in a football game, that's a lot of throwing. Um, but that's, you know, that's what, what the game dictated. And, and I think, you know, the secondary calmed down and, and you know, those, those busted coverages didn't happen as often. But, again, that rush and those linebackers, rush makes coverage better. Uh, and that rush was getting and He was feeling it, and he did not want to get hit. He was just missing sacks. He was getting the ball out of his hands. I think there was one time Nick Bosa had him. And he got the ball out of his hands just before, you know, his knee touches the ground. That's just that experience. But he doesn't want to get hit. And uh, and I and, and and everyone knows it. That's the game plan on Tom Brady. If, if you can get to him, if you can get him moving around, get him off his spot, uh, he's going to make some mistakes there. And I think that's what happened. And this and this rush was was getting there. You know, all those guys was were doing their job. There's no sacks registered, but they were they were doing it. They were getting pressure on the quarterback, getting him off his spot. And making them, you know, make some bad mistakes down the field. But I think the secondary played an outstanding game. And I, I can't say enough about Dre Greenlaw. I mean, he was all over the field. I mean, 15 tackles in a game, that's a lot of tackles in a game. So elite defense. And I and I go back to what Steve Young said that you can't win a championship. But I think with this team, I mean, if 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 this defense can continue to play the way they're playing, they're gonna go a long ways. Uh, in the playoffs. Well, Dennis, over this six-game stretch, uh, defense has obviously been number one in, in the NFL, but the offense and special teams have also been top five. And what this six-game stretch looks like from the combined efficiency numbers is a lot like what your 1994 team looked like coming off of the 40-8 to eight loss to Philadelphia. And obviously, this this stretch started with the embarrassing home loss to Kansas City. So the 49ers have just been head and shoulders above the rest of the league in terms of their overall performance over these six weeks. And if they can keep it up, um, you know, I think 
we can start drawing more more comparisons to to what that 94 team what was able to do it seems like they took that loss personally to the chiefs this year just like we've talked to you about it you guys took the loss to the philadelphia eagles 40 to 8 a candlestick in 1994 personally as well as this this big wake-up call but the 49ers are just they're roaring in all phases of the game, but but they're they're going to have to overcome more injury issues. We just got news right now as we're recording this that Dante Johnson was one of the many players who uh, got an MRI uh, on Monday at Stanford Hospital uh, tore his ACL, so he's done for the season. And sadly, it might be the end of Dante Johnson's career because he he was obviously just hanging on to a roster spot there in the practice squad. Thirty one years old has worked so hard, persevered through so much for the 49ers. That's really tough. That was reported by by Adam Schefter. But, uh, you know, as more of this injury news trickles in, Debo Samuel is likely to miss several weeks. 49ers already missing Hassan Ridgeway for several weeks. It looks like Kevin Givens is going to be out for at least several weeks. They probably got better news on Kerry Hyder, who might be back sooner rather than later. But, Matt, that's a lot of injuries, uh, specifically on the interior defensive line. And that's a spot where the 49ers may have to work out a few players, fortify the position ahead of a game on Thursday night against Seattle, and then obviously ahead of more jockeying for the number two seed. That's what the 49ers are going for in the big picture to close out this regular season. The good news for them, though, is that Javon Kinlaw will return to practice in all likelihood next week. But I'm reading the Kinlaw situation as one in which the 49ers are going to really try to test out the knee before they activate him from injured reserve. So they'll open the practice window, but it, they may want to run a surgical strike with Kinlaw and have him ready for the postseason because that that window might be limited with the fluid buildup in his knee. So the 49ers are going to have to get creative to weather this injury storm right now uh, because you know this is what the end of an NFL marathon looks like. You have to find a way to make sure that that depth is capable to carry you through the finish line. And the 49ers can sniff it right now, but they're also dealing with uh, significant injuries following this game against the Buccaneers. Yeah, I, I, I don't imagine that uh, Javon Kinlaw plays, certainly not against the Seahawks. Uh, they, they open his practice window the following week. That means the Wednesday before the Washington game. Um, I doubt that he plays in that game. And then the game after that is uh, New Year's Day against the Raiders. Um, I would think that the most likely one is uh, in the regular season is the following week, the finale against the Cardinals for him. So um, uh, they, they want to take it slowly and they want to test out that knee, but they do want him for the playoffs. It would be a real bonus if they did. Um, and you're right. Uh, you know, at one point this season, David, uh, when, when training camp began, that was an embarrassment of riches in the interior defensive line for this team. They had a lot of players. Then uh, Mo Hurst went down with an injury. Kinlaw and Armstead were, were injured early in the year. Hassan Ridgeway last week. Um, Kevin Givens on Sunday. And all of a sudden, they're really thin. They can bring up uh, Akeem Hicks or Akeem Spence, sorry, from uh, the practice squad. Um, to to give give them some depth for uh, the uh, the Seahawks game, and uh, as you noted, uh, Shanahan was optimistic that Kerry Hyder, who a couple of years ago was almost exclusively a defensive end, um, can play, and he'd uh, almost exclusively be a defensive tackle if he did. 
Uh, and, and that had a, kind of a domino effect on Sunday. I mean, I don't think that they wanted Nick Bosa to play, you know, his usual allotment of 75% of the snaps, uh, given the, the quick turnaround and given the fact that he was coming off of that hamstring strain. But that's what he played, and he had to, because Charles Amenehue, who's normally one of his backups at defensive end, had to play defensive tackle. They were just running low on guys. So... Uh, like I said earlier, it's going to have to be some some guys uh, that we don't normally talk about. Eric Armstead will be be in there. Uh, Menahue will will play a lot of defensive tackle, but uh, um, you know it's going to have to be guys like Spence and and maybe an, an injured Kerry Hyder who really kind of carry the load on this short week against the Seahawks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This Seahawk game Thursday night coming up real fast here. I mean, this is an opportunity to win the division. That's got to be the focus. I mean, these, you know, there's a lot of injuries. Yeah, but, uh, you know, depth on the um, that defensive line. I mean, you, you got to have it. I mean, against against Seattle. Seattle's surprisingly. I mean, looks like you know the, the game's kind of decreasing here the last couple of weeks, but it's still Seattle. You're in Seattle, uh, and the rivalry's gonna gonna start up all over again. But it's you know it's Pete Carroll on the sidelines there, and, he, and guaranteed he's gonna have some some things up his sleeves for the 49ers. But uh, that that this defensive front. I mean, it's the key to key to this this defense and you got to have a depth I mean if if Ken Law can play in this game he's got to play uh if Kerry Hyder uh he played with the Seahawks I think last season he, he's got to play I mean this is this is what you what you practice o, OTAs all that stuff offseason opportunity to win your division so I mean I, in, in my mind I just it may be a little old school but you, you got to clinch this and then you got to figure out after you know moving on as far as the last couple games and then your playoffs, but you got to clinch your division. Uh, you you got to secure that, and you, you can kind of fight with Minnesota for that number two seat. But right now, the focus has got to be to beat Seattle up in Seattle. So you know, moving forward, I mean, I, I, all hands on deck. I mean, whatever it takes. You know, get your. It's a short week. Uh, you got to get on an airplane. It's a it's a short ride, but it's going to be cold and it's going to be loud. But your focus has got to be. You gotta beat Seattle. You gotta clinch this division and ensure your 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 spot in the playoffs and then then move from there. Wh- whatever it is, if you gotta play 90% of the snaps, that's what the focus has to be. Beat Seattle. Yeah. Because if you beat Seattle, you're also guaranteed nothing worse than the number three seed. And then you're just trying to really push forward with house money to catch Minnesota. You're one game behind the Vikings for the number two seed. Now, I will say in terms of larger playoff positioning, I do think that the uh, significance of number two is is there because the number two seed would get two home games at least. You'd get the wild card round, and then if you win, you'd get the divisional round at home. And consider the fact that the 49ers are playing with a rookie QB right now and Brock Purdy. 
and a top level defense, you want that crowd noise advantage in in your favor as as long as possible in the playoffs, right? You want that defense to be buoyed by the crowd noise and you want it to be nice and quiet for your rookie quarterback. And one thing, one variable that we haven't seen tested with Brock Purdy yet is, is crowd noise. So Thursday at Seattle, I think the 49ers would really like for him to be able to play. And obviously uh, that's still to be determined at this point. But if, if he can play, he gets uh, his first you know experience with nfl crowd noise and there's no better place to work with that experience and get that experience than seattle because it's so loud in seattle so there's still some variables that the 49ers have to i think tackle before uh, th- this this postseason run starts i know they haven't clinched it for for sure yet but they're overwhelming favorites uh to, to make it to the postseason and they could seal the deal on thursday and also get some valuable experience matt if brock purdy is available to play against the seahawks yeah um if i'm writing up a, a brock purdy report card it's got a lot of a's on it but <laughs> one the one uh, spot where he might have a, a low mark is is clock management. Uh, the, the 49ers had to burn, what was it, three timeouts uh, last week against the Dolphins because of sort of a slow uh, play clock and uh, the, the, the play clock winding down. They had to do it again one time um, against the Buccaneers. So that's something that uh, he's he's got to learn, and uh, it's a notoriously – tough place to play. So it'll, it'll be a real test. I'm sure the 49ers, uh, as you noted, would, would love for him to get that experience there. And and boy, what a what a confidence boost. It's been one confidence boost for him and for the team uh, since he came in for Garoppolo early on against the, the Dolphins. This would be another significant one. Go up to Seattle, win on the road uh, in a consequential game. Uh, a very consequential game. And, and Dennis is right. It's going to be full throat. It's going to be wild uh, on, on Thursday night. And uh, it's been a bit of a house of horrors for the 49ers in, in recent years, including last year, uh, from a scoreboard perspective, from an injury perspective. Uh, this this would, would help exercise some demons, I think, if they get this, and then um, yeah, David's right. You're you're playing with house money at that point. You can be a little bit looser um, and uh, get these guys some some good experience and, and some good rest, maybe even uh, in those last games against the the Raiders and Cardinals. <laughs> and I I just think about Pete Carroll and the way he approaches football games. He was he was my defensive coordinator, and he he was always trying to draw up something that's never been done. Uh, he, he was always trying, you know, to, to trick, you know, with, with defenses and, and run these these elaborate red zones where defensive linemen would would fall out. The nose guard would fall out and drop back into coverage like we could ever cover a receiver or a tight end. But it, he was always coming up with something. And I, I just think in the past, it's always been something on special teams that that Pete Carroll comes up with. So. I mean, this team has to be on alert. I mean, you know, they're going to be a desperate football team. Uh, the defense is is getting up a lot of a lot of yards for the last couple of weeks, and Geno Smith hasn't been the same he was kind of middle of the season. But I know Pete Carroll; he's going to have this team fired up, and it's going to be cold. Uh, it, it might be wet in Seattle, and we know what the crowd does. So, Mr. Purdy, I mean, he's going to have to be you know on task with his with his clock management. Um, you know, I, th- he's had two home games. 
his own crowd. Now he has to go on the road now and, and, and face a real loud stadium. So, you know, his, his, his progression, uh, you know, just, just keeps going. I mean, it's a, it's another challenge for him. I mean, it looks like from Sunday, you know, he, he's, he understands the offense. He understands the weapons he has around him. And now you throw something else in and, and that's going to be the crowd. Um, so, yeah, the clock management, it, it's, it's very noticeable during the football game that he's getting out the huddle really late. He does some, sometimes he, you know, he, he was able to, to run the clock down, the play clock down and, and kill a lot of time on the clock in the second half. But uh, again, this is it. This is at home. So we'll see what he does on the road. It, it'd be another test. Um, but so far, like, like you said, Matt, I mean, it's nothing but A pluses. I mean, that first half, you know, the things that he did off script in the first half were, were incredible. His ability to kind of move around the pocket uh, and find uh, receivers open. And his receivers helped him out a lot. I mean, they, they moved their bodies around and were able to catch some of those low balls <clears throat> and uh, find spaces in the defense to get open for him. And so he's got the weapons around him. Um, but now you have to go on the road now and face a very hostile crowd. Yeah, really hostile crowd against the Seahawks team that's, you know, been had an interesting trajectory this season. The 49ers dominated them back in week two. Remember, it would have been a shutout. The defense pitched a shutout. The 49ers special teams didn't. There was a blocked field goal that the Seahawks took back for a touchdown. But, you know, aside from that, it was just a complete butt whooping that the 49ers administered against the Seahawks. Now, Seattle has improved since then, and then they've regressed since then. So the 49ers hope right now, and it's looking like it's lining up to be this, is that uh, they missed Seattle at their best this year, right? They, they got them before they got good, and then they're going to get them again after they got good. But, you know, there's complicating factors, and one of them is the one that Dennis is talking about. This is the last stand for Seattle. If they want to you know, have a chance to win this division or at least avoid the embarrassment of getting eliminated on their own home field, they have to get desperate and they have to find a way to 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 hold the line against the 49ers on Thursday. So you could be sure there's going to be some of that at play from Pete Carroll's crew. I mean, Pete Carroll has no trouble doing the whole rah-rah thing, getting guys fired up, and he has plenty of motivation. Uh, you know, he's just going to tell the guys, do you really want to see the 49ers celebrating on your home field? Happened to the Seahawks in 2019, obviously, with Dre Greenlaw. And then two, uh, this is a Thursday game. And Thursday games are historically great equalizers for the worst team. And the Seahawks obviously aren't as good as the 49ers. 49ers are three and a half point favorites to to, to open up this week. But uh, lines, especially, you know, the, the guys in the trenches, they're going to be more bruised. They're not going to be as recovered for these Thursday games, and that's why you see them really neutralize the favorite. And the 49ers have to find a way to dig deep and make sure that their defense doesn't get neutralized by the fact that this is a Thursday game. Matt, if you look at the Seahawks' profile overall this season, DVOA, number nine offense, number 21 defense, number two special teams. And that last one stands out to me so much. Because Seattle scored a special teams touchdown. That's their only score against the 49ers this year back in week two. But that was evocative of previous years against the Seahawks, right? The Seahawks have always killed the 49ers on special teams. And that's been the difference in their wins over the 49ers, especially in Seattle. Remember last year, it was the opening drive fake punt taken for a touchdown. That was the difference in the game because the 49ers fumbled a kick return later on. And and that also was the difference in the game. So to me, a big thing is the 49ers now have Seattle's former special teams coordinator, Brian Schneider, 
And over the past six weeks, the 49ers have had a top five special teams unit. And when I see that Seattle's got the number two special teams unit in the whole league this year, uh, it's a good thing the 49ers have figured out that side of the ball because it's caused problems before, and I would be on red alert entering Thursday against the Pete Carroll coach team on special teams again. Yeah, it's a good call because, uh, and we talked about this in the run-up to the Buccaneers game, we thought that uh, this would be a a nice showcase for the 49ers special teams, and it it absolutely was. Um, They allowed a a big return on the, uh, the opening kickoff of the second half, but that was the only flaw. They were on it otherwise. Um, and Ray Ray McLeod, um, he hasn't broken a uh, an extremely long run, but he, he always makes the first tackler miss, whether it's the punt return or the kick return. And, um, you know, that's setting the 49ers up really nicely um, uh, for their uh, their offensive series. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a gift to a rookie quarterback like Brock Purdy. If you're not, uh, you know, inside your own 20, you get a little bit more leeway. And uh, the 49ers have done that. And I, one of the things that has stood out to me is that they're not, uh, you know, the, the preseason, early regular season, you always see special teams penalties, this, that, the other. Um, and it gums things up and uh, erases big returns and this uh, and everything. You haven't seen that in recent weeks with the 49ers. Um, and you see the, the veteran players, the guys that they brought in to be the stalwarts on special teams, George Odom, Warren Burks. I think Charlie Warner has really started to establish himself as um, somebody you, you could talk uh, about in that, in that same light. Um, these guys have all been playing together all season now, and uh, they're really good. And the other guy who's been really good is Jordan Mason. Uh, and he's been uh, good on the ground as well. And I wonder whether this game coming up, Dennis, could be a really nice Jordan Mason game, a game where you take out your sledgehammer and you start to pound on a, on a Seattle defense that hasn't been very good this year. And as David noted, defenses uh, are a little bit nicked up for these, uh, these Thursday night games. I remember a game back in 2018 was a, uh, another you know, lopsided 49ers loss in Seattle. The silver lining was that a guy named Jeff Wilson, who nobody had ever heard about, got into the game late and he started delivering hits to the Seattle defense. And it really kind of set a signal. And I think it was really uh, Jeff Wilson's coming out party in the NFL. And uh, Jordan Mason has a lot of the same characteristics as Wilson does. Undrafted guy, runs hard, delivers blows. And uh, this seems like a nice uh, spot to really kind of showcase him. I got a quick stat for you guys. J- Jordan Mason leads the league in yards after contact this year. I know the sample's smaller, but he literally is averaging like 2.4, 2.5 yards after contact, which would be number one out of all running backs. And uh, people say that he reminds them of Marshawn Lynch. Well, uh, Mar- this, they're playing in Seattle this week. Number 24, <laughs> Jordan Mason, 223 pounds, leading the league in yards after contact per carry. A uh, pretty good spot for him to see that role continue to grow. Yeah, and w- what is he, 5'11 or something like that? I mean, he's not the tallest guy in the world, right? But, you know, he runs with some authority. I mean, 223, he, Dennis. We don't see backs that big that much anymore. And, you know, here, here's this thing, though, and, and this is why I think he, he kind of made the football, the 53-man roster, is because he's not a dance guy. He's kind of a, 
a one cut with Kyle Shanahan kind of likes, and then he's kind of downhill. And when he gets hit, you know, he he kind of bounces off. I mean, and he's always falling forward. And I remember Tom Rathman always talking about running, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, behind your shoulder pads, you know, just leaning forward and always falling forward. It kind of reminds me of a Frank Gore type of runner. And, you know, he he does. I mean, he can pound. He can pound. He came in. I mean, he pounds on some defense. And in the third, fourth quarter, that's what you hate. You hate when a running back is running like that, when he's running – you know, with his shoulder pads and he's and he's banging. And, and it, after, you know, after a whole entire football game, you have a running back that's running that hard. That wears on you a little bit. So, I mean, he's just another weapon. I mean, he's another weapon for for this offense and, and for Purdy. And, you know, what I saw uh, Sunday's game in the first half, all weapons were used. You know, George Kittle. I think George Kittle. We don't talk about George Kittle that much this season, but he had some nice catches. Uh, Jawan Jennings, again. He stands up and, you know, Debo until he got hurt and McCaffrey. I mean, this is I mean, I I said it last week. It's a great opportunity. It's a great position to be in as a backup quarterback to have so many weapons around you. And then this offensive line, they were opening up the holes. They played really well against this Tampa Bay uh, defense and that first play of the game. I think the first play of the game, they were trying to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was trying to send a message to Brock Purdy with that that rough in the passer. But after that. This offensive line got after him, and there were holes. Uh, there was time to throw the football. Uh, everything was just clicking. And in uh, the special teams, we just we just talked about it. special teams just got better. So on all three three levels on this team, they're just getting better as the season goes. And 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 they have to take the show on the road. It's been three weeks at home now, so we've been kind of spoiled. Now you go back on the road, and you haven't. I mean, you have an opportunity to clinch it. Clinch your division, and you know that's got to be the mindset. We got we got to clinch this, and then we will figure out everything else as we go on. But we've already kind of, as they say, stomped or uh, stamped the ticket to be in the playoffs, and that's the goal, right? To get an opportunity to to compete for a championship. That's absolutely the goal. You have to look at it in the big picture. And then obviously, you know, once once the 49ers clinch the division, we're going to assume at, at some point they're going to do that. They want to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, you, you could shift that focus to. Uh, seating and and obviously now I think the, the focus also has to be how do you keep your team as powerful and healthy as possible in the big picture and Matt this is one area where the 49ers uh, are probably going to run into a little bit of a bind I think they were a little too liberal with their return from IR designations earlier this season because you only had eight this year the NFL put a restriction on it after it was uncapped uh, the past couple of seasons so the 49ers have already used six of them. They used one of them on a, a special teamer, uh, Curtis Robinson, the the linebacker. And, you know, I'm not so sure that was a, a good idea anymore because now with you, you, you look at the players who could potentially come back this year, right? Hassan Ridgeway, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Elijah Mitchell is, is a big one, Javon Kinlaw. And now you have other players who got hurt like Debo Samuel. It, you, you, can't put all these guys on injured reserve. They still have to take up valuable 53-man roster spots uh, because you can only you know return two more off of injured reserve. So you might not have all the information you need on a lot of these players like, like Jimmy Garoppolo, but um, you just have to play wait and see, which is what the 49ers are doing right now. The problem is... Uh, the body count was was pretty high, right? Injury wise, for the 49ers coming out of this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, you know now they're running the risk of overloading the 53 man roster with guys who can't contribute on Thursday or Sunday. 
And that, you know, is creating a, a catch-22 for this football team. So how the 49ers manage this, you know, limited return from IR spots with, with, with a lot of injuries, how they manage it over the course of the next couple of weeks is going to be really, really interesting. And they may have to do some play some limbo here, right? They may have to really squeeze under the limit and find a way how to, you know, how to optimize their roster moving forward into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, uh, right now we can already say that, uh, what, there are five guys who are, are definitely not going to play. I probably shouldn't say definitely not, but it's uh, unlikely that they play against the Seahawks. Uh, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo, Hassan Ridgeway, uh, Samuel Womack. He's uh, in the concussion protocol, and, and Shanahan basically ruled him out of the Seahawks game. Um, Kevin Givens, uh, we, we think that he's got a fairly serious, at, at the very least, a fairly serious knee injury. And then Debo Samuel. So that's that's five guys already. Um, who uh, you know uh, can't play in this in this upcoming game, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I said it earlier. I don't want to jinx this, but uh, Seattle has been a tough place injury-wise for the 49ers. The 49ers never escape Seattle without um, you know a, a really bad uh, gut punch type of injury. So that that they haven't even played that game yet. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Uh, uh, defensive line we've talked about. Defensive backfield is the other spot that seems to be uh, particularly hard hit. Uh, no Dante Johnson, no Ambry Thomas for this game. Uh, I'm sorry, no um, Sam Womack for this game. Ambry Thomas is dealing with an ankle injury. We don't really know his status yet. But uh, I thought it was very interesting that Travarius Ward, one of the, the veteran guys, uh, one of the guys that you would think uh, you, you take out of the game as quickly as possible when you have a lopsided score, he's one of the, the few guys who played 100% of the snaps yesterday. They couldn't take him out because everybody else in the defensive backfield was hurt. So now you're looking at uh, you know possibly uh, Janoris Jenkins being pulled up off of uh, the practice squad for this upcoming game. You got a couple of uh, of young safeties, Quantrez Knight, Taylor Hawkins. Uh, if you run into issues on special teams, but um, you we, you are getting thin at uh, at difficult uh, positions, and uh, that balancing act is going to be a big deal down this home stretch. Oh my goodness, the the injuries, the injuries. They just I don't know what it is. If it's the training or if it's the the staff, or I mean, it just seems like the injury bug just stays with the 49ers. And my question is, I know they don't have tough practices. Um, is it just the game? Does Kyle Shanahan and, and just the way the scheme, both defense and offense, is it just he just you just grind, you just grind out players because it just it just seems like every game. Uh there, there was a two-week break there when there was no injuries, but when they happen, they seem like they snowball. I mean, it's like one guy goes down and then three guys go down. And uh, I, I can't figure that out. I just think they're a tremendously physical team. Like they, 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 they've made several teams quit this year. I thought Tampa Bay quit defensively in the second half. They made Arizona quit. But, you know, when you they play in that such a physical style, I, I think it might be correlated with, you know, more bruises on your end too, right? Because you're still getting into that, that, that collision. That's my theory. I don't know if I don't know if that resonates with you when you're watching them. I agree, David. I mean, look at the the Debo Samuel injury. I mean, he gets injured because he's he's fighting off two and three uh, tacklers at a time, and so he gets kind of folded over 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 one of those. So uh, you know, if he if he goes down easily, 
he uh, he doesn't get hurt on that play. But that's the the very reason why he's so uh, valuable because he doesn't go down on the first contact. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a double edged sword at times, and uh, it it came uh, up to bite them on that particular play. Yeah, and you know Jimmy Garoppolo was the same way. He's got two defensive linemen on his back. That's right, and he, and he doesn't go down, and he, you know, and he, and he hurts, uh, and he breaks his foot or fractures his foot or whatever he does, and and, and Shanahan lauded that afterwards, you know, like Shanahan and Craig, he's like, you know, that was huge. We needed that to stay in field goal range. I want my right. quarterback to do that every time. And a lot of people kind of scratch their head, They're like, are you sure you want your quarterback <laughs> to do that every time? You're on your fourth one now if Brock Purdy can't can't go. So, but that's just their style. Yeah. And, you have to give them credit. They've layered this ta- uh, roster with so much talent that they're still they're still churning along, and they've been the best team in football for six weeks. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a double edged sword for sure. And then I look at you know, then you got the forty five year old man, you know, on the other side, Tom Brady, and he's ready to play another football game. So you know, I, I don't, you know, I, it's just it's just strange to me. Just or it's not strange to me. I I understand the fact that it's a physical game, but. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what how these guys prepare themselves. I mean, you're going to play tough. You can play physical football, but uh, you also have to be be able to play an entire football season or or you know be in in a football game. So, you know, I, I guess it's the style. You know, we the physical is is what I like. I just don't like seeing each week seeing guys you know carts coming out for these guys. I know they're bigger, stronger, and faster than when I played football. But um, it's just it, it just as a 49ers go, and I, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, you guys have plenty of content to write about. It's just it seems like this team gets hurt a lot. A lot of key players go down and they go down for three or four weeks at a time. So I guess you can't avoid it if you're going to play physical football. Uh, and I guess you just have to do like you said, Dave, you have to stack your roster with talented players and have have depth in all positions because you play such a physical style of football. It's all so fragile, right? And you can hope that that strategy works. And then also you can hope that the timing works out to where maybe some of these return from injuries really benefit you. And uh, I think with Elijah Mitchell, the 49ers might really actually end up winning with that injury because he's going to come back with fresh legs at the start of the playoffs. And then you could look at Debo Samuel right now. They feared the worst at the time of the injury. We're waiting right now on MRI results, but th- there's hope that it's not a season ender, that it's a high ankle sprain. And that'd mean what, four to six weeks? That might mean he comes back right for the playoffs with fresh legs. So, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And it's funny because you say with injuries, well, that, that was really unlucky. Yes, but but if the timing is right, these are such marathons this season. If you layer the talent right, and acquiring Christian McCaffrey seems to be the key to the whole season for the 49ers right now because he's essentially interchangeable with Debo Samuel. They're both running the, this this hybrid role where they can take a handoff or, or or catch a pass pattern. But if 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 that talent gets lucky enough when when it's injured to to have at least have the return timetable be right you could theoretically be peaking at the right time entering the playoffs. And that's why I say everything is is so fragile, right? Because uh, a mistimed injury here, a mistimed injury there can derail your season while a well-timed injury, if there's a such thing, can can actually be something that, that the 49ers can work with. So that's why everybody's always sitting on pins and needles on the Mondays after this game because they're not only waiting for 
news on what the actual injury is. They want to know what the timing of the potential return is, right, Matt? And right now, uh, we're, we're going to be paying very, very close attention to all those details for the 49ers. Yeah, the the, the caution I would have is that Debo Samuel, um, he's a hard guy to, how do I put this delicately? He's a hard guy to keep in peak condition when he's injured. Uh, he's run into issues during the season's in which he has been injured because he tends to gain weight uh, when when he's injured. He just, uh, you know, when he's off his feet, he puts on weight and that leads to other injuries and it becomes a, a bit of a snowball effect. So that would be a challenge, I would think, that if Debo Samuel is out for, I don't know, a month or, or whatever, how do you keep this guy well-conditioned so that, uh, you know, he's, he's ready to roll once he's able to come back? Uh, so... Uh, yeah, every, that's going to be a big question this week, and uh, they've got other big uh, uh, injury questions this week as well. And they'll have more. I mean, you know, there's more coming. I mean, that's that's uh, as Dennis notes. That's the uh, we we know that with the 49ers. So over these last uh, four weeks, there will be more injuries coming, and it's uh, what the the team is able to do to sort of react to those that uh, will will basically decide their postseason. It's one of those battles. I mean, you you have to just pick it up and figure it out sometimes, essentially every week, it seems, with the 49ers. And uh, that's why it's it's all about reacting to the latest news. You can never chart out how one of these marathons is going to go. But anyway, the next step for the 49ers is back in what used to be their house of horrors. I, I would say that uh, they exercised some of those demons in 2019. They obviously have lost the last two games in Seattle, but it is a winnable place uh, for a big game. The 49ers showed that with the big Dre Green loss stop in the final game of the decade in, in back in 2019. That was uh, obviously a great memory for the 49ers. They're going to be wearing their throwback all-whites, the 94 all-whites, in this game against the Seahawks again. So keep an eye out for that. Anyway, for Dennis Brown and Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you after the 49ers play... The Seattle Seahawks. Going to be a lot of fun. They have a chance to clinch the NFC West. So join us next time on Here's the Catch.